It's the last Sunday in March, which means it's the last message in our series, Refocus. We've been spending the last three weeks diving in to the Word of God, specifically Ezra and Nehemiah. But before we jump into the, the fourth and final week of Refocus, I've got a couple more interesting Bible facts for you this morning. Is that okay? Yeah. I said, is that okay? Come on. Yeah, there we go. Okay, okay. Did you know? Because it's the Word, and we got to be excited about the Word. Did you know? Did you know that the first book printed on American soil was a copy of the Psalms? The first book printed on American soil had a portion of the word in that book. All right. That book, the same book that was printed, the first book in America, sold in 2013 for $14 million. Yo, yo, yo. Okay. If you, if you wanted to buy one page of that book, it would cost you a cool 300 large. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's $300,000 from the people, not from the streets in the house. $300,000 back where I'm from, that's 300 large. Y'all don't even know. I'm being kind of serious. But $300,000 for one page of this book, and, and that's more than most of us can afford. Maybe not Ron. Ron could, Ron could buy it, no problem. And if you know Ron, you know that. But that's more than most of us normal people could come by. This book is an incredible book. Oh, 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 but I got, did you know? <laughs> he said, where did you find this guy? I'm married into money, y'all. You have no idea. Woo! <laughs> refocus, refocus. Did you know? Did you know that owning just a regular Bible? You see, this one's a fancy Bible. Becky and Jeremiah got me this by, thank you. Uh, my my brother-in-law, sister-in-law got me this Bible and it's fancy because it's leather and it's got a strap that I can wrap it's super nice but I love this Bible but did you know just owning a regular Bible like this Bible right here if you're watching online that look at this, look how tiny that print is like you got to have a magnifying glass you got to have a magnifying glass to refocus on that thing right there there is nothing special about this Bible physically it's just paperback really small there's nothing special about it. I would say this is somewhat of a beginner Bible if you have one of these maybe you want to get something that you can read a little bit better but Coming across a Bible that has all the information, all the words that are in this Bible wasn't even possible until the 1400s. Did you know that? You see, up to that point, up to the 1400s, every word of God in any portion of Scripture was written, was handwritten, first of all, and it was written in Latin. And the only people that could understand it were the really rich people or the really wealthy people and, and the priests. And because of it, the leaders of the church told the people what they wanted them to hear. You see, back in that time, church played a much larger role in government, almost to a bad degree. It was, it was, it was a bad thing. Nobody could read scripture for themselves. They had to rely on somebody else. Can you see the problem in that? So this guy comes along named John Wycliffe. And, and, and this is about the 1400s. He, he starts taking portions of the word and writing them down on paper so that the normal person could understand it in English. And the people in power at the time were so infuriated by this that a normal person could have a copy of the Word of God. And it wasn't even a full copy, it was just pages of it. They were so mad that he had done this that 44 years after he died, they dug up his bones, crushed them into powder, and dumped him in the river as a punishment for his sins. Shortly after this, a guy comes along named Johann Gutenberg, and, and he invents a, something called the printing press. 
or a, a version of it. He invents the printing press. And what this allowed them to do was instead of handwriting the Bible, they could print several books at one time, whole full books. They could make a lot of Bibles at once. Can you guess the first book printed? The Holy Bible. This is a really, really important book. And from this point forward, people, normal people, common people, would slowly but surely begin to have personal access to the word of God. But it was not without a fight. For 1,500 years after Christ died, there weren't Bibles on bookstands, Bibles on nightstands, Bibles on bookshelves, Bibles in your backpack, study material, resources, not for the common person. There's been an incredibly long history of the enemy trying to keep you and I from having access to this word. For centuries after Christ died, you couldn't even read it if you wanted to. In fact, people were executed. Oof, people were burned alive for trying to make it possible for you and I to have access to a book that we so often take for granted. Some of you guys brought first-time guests this morning. You're thinking, he's usually funnier than this. <laughs> this, this, he, this is usually not how... Listen, it's the last week of refocus, and I just want us to understand exactly how important this word is and how sometimes we take it for granted. Let me, let me show you something. Check this out. So, so this Bible is my NLT. What I want you to... Who has your Bible? Hold it up. Where is it? Hold her up. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. If you're watching online, you can do the same thing. On the binding of your Bible, okay? Right here, you might find a name on it. For me, it's Tyndale. Maybe for you, it's Zondervan. Maybe it's Crossway. But for this, anybody got a Tyndale? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that, that is so cool. So check this out. The man who bore this last name, his name was William Tyndale. And he lived in the 1500s. And, and, and he, was, he actually showed up right in the middle of the Protestant Reformation. We're not gonna go too far into that. William Tyndale was strangled to death, tied to a stake, and burned for trying to give you and I access to the word of God. It was that important to him. And my question for you is, would your name be on the back of this? Is the word that important to you this morning? He spent a long time trying to, I just want us to understand that, that this book wasn't always available. And somehow it gets relegated down to a, a bookshelf that kind of just collects dust. We are incredibly blessed today. Even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes when you watch the news, Fox, CNN, whatever you're watching, it may not look like we're a blessed people. We are highly blessed and highly favored because we have access to the word. Guys, check this out. We live in a world where the Bible app has been downloaded over 500 million times. That's more than the population of planet Earth when the first Bible was printed. The enemy has tried everything he can come up with to try to stop you and I from reading the word, but we serve an unstoppable God. We serve a king that cannot fail. And his word is so powerful, death can't stop it. No force of hell can stop the authority that that book contains. Are you excited about the word this morning? Come on. The first week in the series, we talked about a man named Zerubbabel. You guys remember Zerubbabel? And his job... Some of y'all say no. His job, that's what this portion of the message is for. His job was to lead 50 large back to Jerusalem. Y'all catch that? Some of y'all say like, what does he mean? 50,000 people back to Jerusalem out of exile. And God told him, I want you to focus on rebuilding the temple. Okay, that was Zerubbabel's job. And then we met a guy named Ezra in the second week. 
And God told him to lead the second wave of people back to Jerusalem out of exile. And he was going to focus on reteaching the law. Then last week, we met a guy named Nehemiah who had the monumental task of rebuilding the walls surrounding the recently reconstructed city of Jerusalem. Okay, do you guys remember how I talked about how the wall was two and a half miles around? And how I said, just imagine walking two and a half miles one direction and building a wall that was 40 feet high in some places. And remember how I said that when he got to Jerusalem on horseback, he had to ride around and inspect the walls and assess the damage so he knew where the weak points are. You guys remember that? We we talked about how just because God asks you to do something doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And just because you're obedient doesn't mean that there won't be obstacles. And when they were halfway done building the wall, they got discouraged. They got weary. Oh, but then Nehemiah jumped up on here and busted out Braveheart. And from that point forward, every builder had a sword at their side. And instead of being weary, they were ready for war. You remember that part? Oh, oh, oh. oh do you remember that one part where, where Mike came up? And he had, he had a sword, and he swung that sword like he was Brad Pitt and Troy. Y'all seen that movie? You remember that? He was swinging a sword because he's a battle buddy. Someone that watches your back while you rebuild. And then towards the end of service, it got, y'all, it got, remember last week? Remember last week? Hell lost another one. I am free. Woo! I am free. Yeah, it got wild at the end of last week's service because we found out that even though every builder had a sword, the man with the trumpet stood next to Nehemiah. Oh, and he said, whenever you hear the sound of this trumpet, you rally together because God's going to show up and you don't want to miss it. And then I said, when you hear the sound of God's people raising a shout, get ready for strongholds to come down. When you hear the name of Jesus, get ready for chains to break, miracles to break out. We ended last week with a shout. I wonder if we can start the same way this week. Let him know you're happy to be in the house. Last week, we left off with the wall being halfway done. This week, the wall gets finished. So open up your Bibles to chapter 4, verses 21 and 23. I'll read it for you. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, not my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. And and some people would suggest that that part where it says, even when we went for water means when they went to take a bath, they bathed with their clothes on. I mean, they were serious about this. Something I forgot to tell you last week, and please forgive me. I want to tell you now, because I messed up by not telling you last week, and I feel like I should have, and that is this, that that the rebuilding of your wall may take some time. I'm sorry, maybe I made it seem last week like like it was going to happen in one day, but the truth is it may not happen overnight. It may not happen your first Sunday back in church, and this can really throw some people off because we get this idea that it's going to happen instantly. Like a lifetime of bad habits and poor perspective can be fixed with a prayer and a full night's rest. The truth is, Your wall may not get rebuilt the first time you open the word of God. It may not get rebuilt the first time you throw up a prayer. Those things are single actions. And a single action represents a single block, not the entire wall. The truth is, we're afraid of work. That's the reality of it. It says they worked morning until evening, sun up to sun down. They didn't just go to church one Sunday and throw in the towel. 
They were at church every Sunday. They were at church eight times in two months. And they went to downpour. And they got plugged into small groups. And they got involved in community. Come on, somebody. They weren't just there to consume it. They were there to put in the work. Hear me. I want you to hear this. If you're taking notes, write this down. You'll never change your life until you change what you do daily. You will never change. Your life will never change until you start with the small steps. Your life doesn't change until you change what you do daily. This right here represents the daily. This right here represents the final product. You with me so far? You'll never change your life until you change what you do daily. So some of you know this, some of you don't, but I had a problem with smiling. Like, like, was it last year or something like that? I just noticed that I wasn't smiling a lot. And so what I did, what I did is I set an alarm on my phone four times a day. It just said, smile. I'll be walking through here, going to get some lunch while I'm working through the week, and my alarm will go off, and I'll just like this. I, I, it was the things that I was doing daily that changed my reality. You see, it's the small things that nobody sees that lead to the big results that everybody wants. It's the small things you're doing in your life, coming to church every Sunday. And it's not just about church, but when you're in church, remember, you're in the presence. It's about getting into community every day that leads to the big results that everybody wants. Like, like you want what I have, but you don't want to do what I did to get where I am. Maybe somebody's come to you and said, I just want to be where you are. But do you want to do what I did to get here? That's the question. Okay, okay, chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5. And by the way, when you get there, we're not going to read a single verse. I'm going to give you, <laughs> I'm going to give you an overview of this because chapter 5 sends us on a strange detour, okay? Turns out when they were rebuilding the wall, it was during the middle of a famine and people were running out of food. So not only was the wall really difficult to build, not only was the enemy surrounding them on all sides waiting to kill them, but to add to it, they were all hangry. And hangry people do hangry things. So, hey, some of the people were mortgaging their houses to their really wealthy friends at really high interest rates so they could buy food. And when they, when they couldn't make the refinance payment, they had to sell their children to their new lender. You see, angry people yell at their children, but hangry people sell their children. <laughs> Where are my parents at? Where you, don't act like you haven't done. Like, like if, you don't, if you're not a good kid, I will take you to the goodwill right now in the name of Jesus. And they don't, you can't, you can't return something at the goodwill. So once I drop you off, it's it. That's, it's over. So Nehemiah, this is chapter 5, Nehemiah essentially rebukes all the people and says, y'all lost your mind. Are you kidding me right now? And they repent of it and they st stop and the issue seems to be resolved for the time being. Here's what we can take away from that. When God gives you a command, he will always give you the capacity to complete it. When God gives you a command, he will always give you what you need to accomplish that command. Even when resources are low, even when all the people around you are hangry, God put it in you before he put you in it. God put it in you before he puts you in the situation. 
If he told you to rebuild the wall in the middle of a famine, he has a plan to feed you, and it does not involve selling your children, no matter how much you want to. <laughs> Some of you parents are like, yeah. <laughs> then the last thing Nehemiah says in chapter 5, right at the end, he basically prays, and he says, oh, God. And I imagine him saying, like, dear Lord Jesus, help me deal with these crazy people. I was working in the palace. I had a fine life. And then you sent me here to people who are selling their kids. Come on, somebody. He said, hey, God, would you do me a favor when all this is over? Could you, like, remember all the stuff that I went through? Like, you ever prayed a prayer like that? Like, God led you somewhere, and you're like, Lord, I pray that this is worth it. Because what I'm walking through right now, these people are crazy. Nehemiah's like, when this thing's over, if I'm being honest with you, God, I'm hoping for a double portion at the end of this thing. And then he says, amen. And that brings us to chapter six. Open your Bibles to chapter six. So do you guys remember last week how I introduced you to a guy named Sanballat? Everybody remember that? Some of us do. Do you remember how I said, I want to I show you what his name is because I don't want you to forget what his name stands for? Remember that? I'm, that's, a, that's not rhetorical. Do you remember what his name stands for? <laughs> what does it stand for? Remember how I said enemy of y'all? Y'all, y'all just lied in church. Y'all just, yeah, I remember, Pastor, but you didn't say what it was. You remember how I said that there's the enemy in secret coming after you? And as soon as you start to rebuild the wall, he's going to send someone or something to distract you, to try to stop you from making it happen. Do you remember that? Sanballat and his vigilante crew make another attempt in chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 4. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. <laughs> so, so now... <laughs> not yet so now the walls have been rebuilt okay for the most part Nehemiah said when they found out that I had completed the walls so for the most part the walls are almost done the first line of defense for the city of Jerusalem is almost complete that means all the church services all the time in the word all the prayers all the small groups all the battle buddies it paid off and now the enemy in secret starts to panic because he knows once the doors get installed his access gets denied remember at the beginning of this last week how there was a hole in the wall and how when there's a hole in your wall the enemy has free access to come in and just wreak havoc on your life how I said that when you're following Jesus, when there's no holes in your walls, you get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when the enemy gets behind your walls, you can expect the exact opposite. You guys remember that so far? But now that we've taken action, now that we've rebuilt, now that we've refocused on what God wants us to be and who God says we are, the enemy, Sanballat, starts to scramble. So Sanballat launches one final attack, and he says to Nehemiah, come, join me in the plains of Ono. Now, I don't know about you, but as far as red flags are concerned, I'm seeing a couple. First red flag is this. Sanballat wanted to kill me yesterday. He wanted to destroy my first line of defense. Now that he can't get in, he's trying to lure me away from my wall altogether. You see, the battle used to be at the wall. 
Leading up to chapter 6, this is where the battle was. But now that the wall is complete, now that I've taken action, now that I've reset my boundaries, the enemy's trying to lead me away from my wall altogether. Now that I've refocused on God, he wants me to leave my defenses. And I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. You see, this wall isn't just for the enemy. It's for you too. Hear me, hear me, hear me on this. Because it lets us know where we end and where the world begins. And I want to clarify something. I know that we have power. Oh, I know that I know that I know that we've got authority in the Holy Spirit of God. But that doesn't mean there aren't things you shouldn't do, places you shouldn't go, somebody. Sam Ballant knows that if he can get Nehemiah to turn away from the battle that he's been assigned to, he'll walk into a battle that he's not equipped for. Oh, I'm going to say that again because I don't think y'all heard me. I said the enemy knows if he can get you to turn away from the battle that you've been assigned to, you'll walk into a battle that you, not, you are not equipped for. So many people get their wall so close to completed. I mean, we're close, right? Looks like we got one block. We are close. So many people get their wall so close to completed, but then they get too close to comfortable. Like I'm good now. My wall's done. It's pretty much done. I've been coming to church for like several months. I got good friends. I got people praying for me. I can go back to that place. I can be back around those people. I can slide back into those DMs. Oh, I'm strong now. The good Lord is on my side. But what if the good Lord wants you to stay in the good place that he put you in? You see, you can be the total package but still go to the wrong address. You can have it all. You can have a good family, you can have good community, you can be a part of a good church, but still find yourself and put yourself in bad situations. Just because you are redeemed and set free doesn't mean that we can't jeopardize that freedom by walking away from the place that God is calling us to be in the thing that God is asking us to do. Woo! Y'all want another one-liner? Here it is. You'll never achieve greatness until you're willing to leave good enough behind. Some of us want to be great in the Lord. Woo! Some of us want to be strong and brave and bold. But you can't get there until you leave good enough behind. Because good enough is not where God is calling you. Okay, the second red flag is that the place that Sam Ballot wants to meet me is called, oh no. Now there it is. You're like, when's he going to get to there? Listen to me. Hear me when I say this, please. God will prompt you not to do certain things. The Holy Spirit will tell you to stay away from certain places. But when the place is called, oh no, with a guy named Sandballot, he's expecting you to stay away from that one all by yourself. <laughs> Don't act like you ain't been there. Like, Lord, should I go? Lord, what do I do? And he's thinking, are you serious? The place you're going is called, oh no. The dude that wants you to come is named enemy in secret. No, you shouldn't go. Let me make it practical for you. If you have a problem drinking, you stay away from the bars. If you have a problem looking at things, get off your phone. Stay away from the computer. You with me so far? If you have a problem getting into unhealthy relationships, you need to put that stuff on pause. Four times. Sand ballot called Nehemiah to leave a place that God had called him to a place that he could control him. 
The enemy's trying to get you away from the place that God has called you to go to a place that he could control you. Y'all, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm all about charging hell with the water pistol. <laughs> I'm all about it. Let's go. Me and a couple of fellows with water pistols, we'll take him on. I'm about the, the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. But y'all, God gave you decision-making power in your life. If it's tempting you, stay away from it. Are y'all going to stay away from the planes of oh no next week? I said, is everybody going to stay away from the planes of oh no next week? Come on. All right, chapter 6, verse 9. Nehemiah says, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. When you're rebuilding your wall, like, like when you're refocused on this, an invitation from the enemy to join him outside of this wall, outside of the promise, outside of your purpose, outside of the progress, tells you one very important thing. And this is going to set somebody free this morning. The only authority that the enemy has to get behind your gates is the authority that you give him. Some of y'all been yelling at the devil. Some of y'all been battling the de- devil in places you were never supposed to be to begin with. Because you, you left a battle you were assigned for and walked into a battle that you weren't equipped for. The Holy Spirit is on you and in you and upon you. And that's a line that the enemy cannot cross unless we accept the invitation to join the enemy in the plains of oh no. <laughs> when we get refocused... When we get recentered, when we rebuild this wall, the only thing the enemy can do is hope that we will leave the safety of our wall for the pleasures of this world. That wall is a safe place. And the enemy will use all of his resources to keep you from discovering yours. And hear me, the greatest resource that you have is the power of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Come come on up. Oh, Dave, you, all my friends up here who are playing music, I, I'm going to get super spiritual a lot sooner than I thought I was. <laughs> Finally, in verse 15, it says this. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. On October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days, two and a half miles, 40 feet high. On October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. This next part's great. It says, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. You see, it may not happen overnight, but it should not have happened in 52 days. And even though it may not happen overnight, even though they had to put in long hours, God did in 52 days what the previous generation couldn't do in 70 years. That's a word for somebody this morning. You've been waiting on it instead of working for it. Let's stand up. Stand up this morning. Even though you may face adversity, all right? Even though sometimes you've got to carry a sword at your side while you're stacking stones. Even though the enemy at secret is going to try to stop you time and time again. God says if you'll just keep stacking stones, I'll keep swinging the sword. Hear me on this. 
When you're walking in obedience, you're walking in favor. And when you're walking in favor, the fury of the Lord is following you. And when the enemy comes at you, the fury gets unleashed. I don't think you're as excited as you need to be about that reality. The fury of the Lord is following you. The power of God over you is greater than the enemy that surrounds you. Ha <laughs> ha!